I'm Joe Beachboard. And I'm Dr. Dennis Davis. And this is Workplace Strategies Update. Dennis, how are you? I'm good, Joe. Yourself? I'm doing well. Podcast episode number six. Man, we're piling them up. Halfway there. I think we're halfway to uh, Workplace Strategies uh, 2021 in Austin, Texas. Absolutely, absolutely. We have some news to announce today. Yes, we're going to talk about our Workplace Strategies special guest speaker. Yeah, we're going to announce that in just a couple of minutes. Going to hold you in suspense for a little bit while longer. It's worth waiting for. Yeah, indeed. And then after um, our very special interview, of course, we will conclude with our uh, favorite segment, What You Drinking? I Have My Bottle. And I've got my bottle. Uh, first, a couple of things about the program. Thank you all for, for joining us and for participating either on the video or on the podcast. Uh, if you are participating through the podcast, be sure that you subscribe. We're now available on Spotify and Apple as well. Don't also forget about the four principles of this program. They are swag, substance, Wine and competition. You and keep com- changing the order up well, on us. I just us want to make here. sure you're paying attention. Okay, okay. Well, that's it. You're trying to throw me off, huh? That's exactly you know, right. that, that's kind of your strategy to that winning the wine contest strategy. later, Absolutely. I think, as well. That's so right. you, that's what you do. You throw out cloves and things like that. To knock me <laughs> off my game. Keep in mind that there are two ways to win a bottle of Dennis's wine. Uh, you can either vote in the polls at the uh, end of the show or just by subscribing to the show, either on Spotify or on Apple, you will be entered in the drawing for a bottle of wine. And it will actually come from Joe. This week. Yeah, this week. Uh, I have to admit, (laughs) this week, you know, um, I had a I thought I had a fabulous story. Uh, well, it is a fabulous story. It's not a question of whether or not it was a fabulous story. Not fabulous enough. Uh, okay. <laughs> I had the Misueño Cabernet, the, the, the 15-year-old teenager who immigrated to the United States, worked his way up, bought his own winery, and now produces this fabulous wine. And somehow that finished second. I had the Chaos Theory Zen Blend, which is a real scientific theory that people loved hearing about, Joe. You, you just think that was it? I thought it was the cloves that you... don't get it. The cloves at the end that really, I thought, was going to sense the win for me. I don't, I don't know what happened. Yeah. Well, we have two other great bottles to talk about today. And remember, you can win simply by voting in the polls or subscribing to the podcast. And we're going to do something a little different. Yes, we are. This was a suggestion from one of the listeners, and so we appreciate your input along the way. You want to announce it? You will be voting for your favorite story, and uh, whoever wins will be able to choose whether they want the one that Joe presents or the one that Dennis presents. And then the loser will send one of those bottles to you. Yeah, it got a little more complicated. A lot more complicated. (laughs) I don't know. It didn't sound like that when we were talking about it earlier today. As long as I win, I'm good. It seems, uh, it does seem a little bit more complicated. But that will give you the opportunity to choose which wine you would like to receive. Perhaps you would prefer one over the other, but you thought one story was better than the other. So, uh, uh, we're going to give you two choices that you can now make. Two ways to win, two choices. How do you like that? I'm very, forward to very it. good stuff. All right. All right. Well, let's get on with it. You want to talk a little bit about workplace strategies? So our keynote closer on Friday, June 25th is going to be Daryl Davis. And it is an amazing story, much of which 
We're going to need to save for the actual event at Workplace Strategies. That's true, Dennis. But to summarize, he is an amazing, multi-talented individual. He's an accomplished blues and R&B musician. He played with Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, B.B. King, and Bruce Hornsby, just to name a few. He's a successful author. Uh, he's an actor, including he had a recurring role in HBO's The Wire, and he's Dennis's cousin. How yeah, he likes to that? play that down. But uh, <laughs> I would too. <laughs> it's his remarkable story with respect to race relations that has led him to being on dozens and dozens of television programs and why we have invited him to Workplace Strategies. Daryl Davis, welcome to the program. Hey, Daryl. Hey, thank you all. How are you all doing? Doing well. Good to see you. We're doing great. Good Thanks so much both. for your time. And, and Daryl, we very much look forward to your presentation at Workplace Strategies, which is now going to be in Austin, Texas, yes. and you're going to be presenting on Friday, June the 25th. Sounds great, man. I'm looking forward to coming there. Yeah, I think last time I was there, I was playing a gig in Austin. Oh, that's right. Well, you know, we could probably make that happen again, right? You know, we, there you go. <laughs> we have the whole hotel there at the, the Fairmont, so that's we could probably find right. a room for that, uh, which would be – that would be a, quite a bit of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, that fun. would. Uh, Daryl, you have really become – a thought leader on issues regarding race relations, you know, in, in part due to your success at convincing KKK members to denounce the organization. So what's been your strategy to achieve that? Being transparent and understanding some things that I've, that I've learned throughout my life, starting as a young child. You know, I have been to 57 different countries on six continents and I've performed in 49 of our 50 states. And I can tell you something, you know, no matter how far I go from this country, you know, our home, you know, the United States, whether it's right next door to Canada or to Mexico or halfway around the globe, no matter how different people may be who I encounter, they may look different, speak differently, worship differently, practice a different culture, et cetera. When I return back home, I always conclude one thing. We all are human beings. And as such, we all want the same basic five core values in our lives. We all want to be loved. We want to be respected. We want to be heard. We want to be treated fairly. And we want the same thing for our families as anybody else wants for their families. And as long as we employ those five core values in any society, in any culture we may find ourselves in with which we're unfamiliar, I will guarantee the navigation would be a lot more smooth and a lot more positive. And I've been able to employ uh, that strategy when dealing in the culture of uh, white supremacy. And that has led to, to my su uh, success. In, I don't like to say that I've converted anybody, but uh, I have been the impetus for over 200 to, uh, to renounce their ideology, give me their Klan robes and hoods and you know swastika flags and all that kind of stuff. Incredible stuff, Daryl. Very incredible stuff. Speaking of hoods and robes and swastikas, you've collected a lot of that from people who you've had an impact over. How did that start in the first place? <laughs> Ironically, uh, you know, I, I had a question when I was age 10 after having uh, rocks and bottles thrown at me while being the only black scout uh, participating in an otherwise all-white Cub Scout parade. And I didn't understand it. I, I was wondering, you know, what had I done wrong? 
and I hadn't done anything wrong. I, I didn't realize it was because of the color of my skin because I spent a lot of time, you know, overseas. My parents were in the U.S. Foreign Service. So we lived in different countries every two years. And I was always in multicultural environments. I went to international schools. Anybody who had an embassy in those countries, all of their kids went to the same school. So my, cl- and we're talking about, you know, early 1960s. My, uh, my classmates were Nigerian, Italian, Japanese, Russian, Swedish, French, you know, you name it. They all were there. That was my norm. That was my baseline. And when I would come back home after my uh, dad's two-year assignment, I would either be in all black schools or black and white schools, meaning the uh, still uh, yet to be integrated schools or the still segregated ones or the newly integrated ones. So I didn't understand this, you know, this uh, separation, so to speak, because I'd always been around uh, what was called or what we call today a multicultural environment. The term multicultural didn't even exist back then. It was just the norm. So I was living as a child overseas, uh, probably about 10 years ahead of my time, because that that environment had yet to come here. It's here now. You walk into any city school, people from all over. But that was not the case in the 1960s. So I know people can get along. I proved that I lived it. You know, why can't we get along in this country? So one night, you know, fast forward, I graduated college with my degree in uh, music and I've been a performer ever since. And I was playing in a country western band in a town called Frederick, Maryland, playing at a place called the Silver Dollar Lounge, which had a reputation of being an all white uh, bar lounge. And uh, not meaning that blacks could not go in, but that blacks did not go in by their own choice. And it was a good choice because, you know, when you go somewhere where you're not welcome and alcohol is being served, <laughs> it does not make a good combination. Like, you know, you're all a bottle of wines, you know, it does not make a good combination, you know, especially if you're not liked. So here I was in this place, the only black guy in the band, only black guy in the place. And um, on the break after the first set, a gentleman came up behind me and put his arm around my shoulder. Now, I don't know anybody in the place, so I'm turning around trying to see who's uh, touching me. And this guy, 15, 18 years older than, me, older than me, had a big smile on his face. And he, he says, man, I sure like your piano playing. And I said, thank you. I appreciate that. I shook his hand. And then he says, you know, this is the first time I ever heard a black man play piano like Jerry Lee Lewis. And I was not offended, but I was taken aback that his being older than me, that he did not know the black origin of Jerry Lee Lewis's piano style. And I proceeded to tell him that it came from black blues and boogie woogie piano players. That's where rock and roll and rockabilly evolved. He was having none of it. You know, no, Jerry Lee invented that. He didn't get anything for any black people. And I was the only black person he'd ever seen play like that. And I said, look, man, I said, I know Jerry Lee Lewis. He's a very good friend of mine. He's told me himself. He didn't believe that either. But he was so fascinated, he wanted me to have a drink with him. He's going to buy me a drink. So I go back to his table. I had a glass of cranberry juice or something. And he takes his glass. And he, like, you know, clinks my glass and cheers me and then says, this is the first time I ever sat down and had a drink with a black man. And now I'm totally mystified. Like, how can this be? Because at this point in my life, I had sat down with thousands, and I do mean thousands, of white people or anybody else and had a meal, a beverage, a conversation. How did this guy go all these years and never do that? So innocently, I asked him why. 
And he stared at the tabletop and didn't answer me. I asked him again. And his buddy elbowed him and said, tell him, tell him, tell him. I said, tell me. He looked back at me just as plain as day and said, I'm a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Well, I burst out laughing because I know a lot about the Klan. I know a whole lot about the Klan. And they don't just come up and embrace a black person and want to buy them a drink and, and praise their talent and want to hang out. It doesn't work that way. So I figure, okay, well, the guy probably thought I was joking him about Jerry Lee Lewis, so he's going to pull one on me, you know, about the Klan. So I'm laughing. He goes inside his pocket, pulls out his wallet, and hands me his Ku Klux Klan membership card. And I look at this thing. I recognize the Ku Klux Klan insignia, which is a red circle with a white cross and a blood drop in the center. This thing was for real. So I stopped laughing, and I gave it back to him. And we talked about the Klan and some other things, but... um. He wanted me to call him whenever I was to come back to this bar. And he gave me his phone number because he wanted to bring his friends, you know, the ones with the pointed hats and robes, to, to see the black guy who plays like Jerry Lee. So I'd call him every six weeks. And he'd come. He'd bring Klansmen and Klanswomen to see me. And so I would meet some of them on the break. Some of them, you know, did not want to meet me. They'd see me coming towards their table, and they'd get up and scoot away. Others were, uh, were curious about me and hung out. And uh, that's how it started. And I decided I would uh, I would write a book. The, the book came, you know, uh, much later. Wow. Wow. Daryl, um, how many robes do you now have in your collection from former clans, men and women? I have, I think, between 54 and 57, just under 60. But I have a ton of, I have hundreds of other items. T-shirts, belt buckles, flags, uh, you know, Nazi caps, uh, clan hats, and all kinds of stuff. Wow. Do, do you, uh, when you do presentations like in Austin, do you, some of those come along with you or how, is that, is that you, kind of part you're of talking about the people or, or, or the uh, paraphernalia? The paraphernalia, <laughs> the paraphernalia, <laughs> not the people. Uh, yeah, I, I can bring some if you like, sure. Oh, might be interesting. So, okay. Carol, when we invited you to speak at Workplace Strategies way back in 2019, we, we could That, that was like forever ago. What's that? <laughs> I uh, said so that was like forever ago. That was forever ago. Right. And, and we could never have anticipated uh, the state of race relations in our country today. Um, with the little bit of time that we have left, tell us, uh, you know, with tensions so high, especially with the current situation in Minnesota, where do you see the signs of hope? Oh, listen, the signs of hope are all over. The signs of hope are all over. You know, any time there's going to be change, there's always going to be upheaval. Always going to be some civil rest. But you know what? We, we've come a long ways. We still have a long ways to go. But I am very optimistic and very hopeful. And, and let me tell you why. You know, let's, you know, let's just pick a, pick a point. Let's say the beginning of the civil rights movement, let's say 1955, with uh, Rosa Parks and the bus boycott um, and the marches and demonstrations and protests with uh, Dr. King through the 1960s. If we look... At, at who was protesting, who was marching, we see a, a sea of black people with a few white people mixed in who got the vision. They understood it. They wanted to come out and support us, and they marched with us. Um, and, but the powers that be, who looked like them, you know, were not buying it, and they were considered race traitors, et cetera, et cetera. And they suffered a lot of the same uh, transgressions that we did, like, especially in the... Um, in the uh, beating of the of the bus riders at the Birmingham bus station and things like that. All right. 
So the page turned very slowly, but it turned. Now, fast forward to last year, 2020, and in the wake of the, of the lynching, I should call it, of George Floyd, we look at the protests and the marches, and what do we see? We see a sea of black people. We see a sea of white people marching with us. That collective voice of blacks and whites and all kinds of Americans coming together in those protest marches, the needle turned a lot faster. The page turned much quicker because the powers that be that control all that stuff, they saw more people who look like them. So instead of plugging their ears like they did, you know, 50 years ago, they're now pulling out their earplugs and putting in their hearing aids and listening. Never be, you know, and, and the ripple effect that, that we've seen in the last year has been greater than anything we've ever seen in our history. Uh, in the past, if a police officer, if a police officer were to be charged, it would take months and months and months. And then chances are he would be charged but never convicted and just continue the same pattern of behavior. Today, they're being charged like that and terminated like that. All right. But the ripple effect, while these marches uh, from last summer after George Floyd were geared predominantly towards police, the ripple effect was NASCAR banning the use of the Confederate battle flag. NASCAR, of all places, ground zero for the Confederate battle flag. The state, I should say, the sovereign state of Mississippi, removing the Confederate portion out of their flag. Food labels changing their branding, uh, Aunt Jemima's, Uncle Ben's, a legislation being passed to take down Confederate uh, statues and change names on buildings honoring uh, slave owners. We've never seen this much happen so quickly. And what's the difference between the marches of yesteryear and the marches of last year? The collective voice. And that's what we need to focus on, having more Americans come together and understand, you know, together we stand, divided we fall. Very hope-inspiring. Very yeah. hopeful. What Very a, hopeful. What a, what a great message, Daryl. And we are so excited to have you join us on June 25th for, for Workplace Strategies. And I, maybe you guys have family reunion or something, you know, a little <laughs> well, guys. Hey, we're to, certainly going to reunion. That's right. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. So thank you so much for uh, joining us for the program. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Well. Good to see you, Daryl. My pleasure. Guys. My pleasure. Have a wonderful day. You, you too, both All of you. Right. That was a uh, fascinating discussion with Daryl Davis, and I am very much looking forward to having him at Workplace Strategies in June. I'm looking forward to catching up with him, absolutely. Yeah, he's an impressive guy. Very impressive guy. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's an accomplished musician, mm -hmm. a, uh, an author, yes. uh, an actor, actor, and now he's on television everywhere talking about race relations. Yeah, the, absolutely. the family must be proud to have somebody of that stature. Yes, they are. Yeah. One more than the Beach Boys. Oh, have. well. <laughs> Well, and and don't put yourself down, Dennis. Like that, that's not a way to do it. You you won the you won the contest this uh, week. Did I? You did okay, win. Well, you good. won the contest. So there you go. You got. He's got all those checks. You got. I won the wine contest. Okay, fair so enough. There you fair go. Enough. So we got that going. Uh, on a serious note, um, you know this uh, th this raises a lot of difficult 
topics yeah. and difficult discussions that are a lot of times occurring, you know, in, in the workplace. Any recommendations on that? Yes. You know, one of the things that Daryl talked about without talking about it is the significance of having difficult conversations that what it really boils down to is that people really do want to connect with each other and they want to talk about those challenging and difficult things. Hard to do, but really important. Yeah. They're de and, you know, there's so much going on in the world right now. I mean, with the pandemic, you've got the trial in Minnesota, the most recent incidents there, um, uh, tough. And, and is it is it more difficult even when we're remote? Well, yeah, you know, that, that up close and personal is important to be able to connect with people. And yet, what I'll tell you is what some people are saying is, uh, the fact that we're not up close and personal uh, allows me to maybe talk about things in a way that I wouldn't otherwise talk about in person. So you get some, you lose some. You lose that personal connectedness, uh, but you gain uh, a sense that it's a little bit more safe to talk about things. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably a good topic for the Workplace Strategies Program. That could work. Yeah, that I could think definitely work. having some difficult uh, discussions uh, would be there. And uh, speaking of the difficult discussion, I guess we have to talk about uh, the contest last week. That's, yes. that's an uncomfortable, difficult discussion. I don't know. I find it very comforting. <laughs> very comforting. Yeah. I, I, I still don't understand it. But uh, Cindy Beeson, uh, congratulations. You get to choose between a bottle of the chaos theory <clears throat> or the Misueño. Yes, and it will come from me this time. Because so Joe lost I, last I, week. I, I apparently did. I don't understand voting for the clove story, but okay. okay. Uh, you know, that's uh, that's that's democracy at work, my that's friend. Democracy that's democracy at work. At work and we that's just right. have to let the chips fall where they may. Absolutely. All right, so, uh, well, we have two um, new wines to talk about this week. Yes. And so um, I gave you the opportunity to go first last week. And do you? I will return the favor to you. Okay. All right. All right. <clears throat> so this is a this is a fabulous bottle of wine, and it's meaningful uh, for our program here and our program that's going to be coming up in Austin. It's called Together. It's a 100% cab. This is a 2014, so it's aged perfectly, mm. ready to be um, enjoyed right now. Uh, it's a perfect wine for workplace strategies. Why? Because their philosophy is written right on the bottle. Let me, let me read that to you. It says, some things are better shared with others. From celebrating victories and overcoming challenges to embracing the future and the past. This wine was made to drink with family and friends, because when enjoyed together, the whole is really greater than the sum of the parts. This is Together Wine Company, and we look forward to being together with you for Workplace Strategies 2021. Well, that's very interesting, Joe. So, you know, folks, I, I moved to California about 40 years ago, and uh, I didn't have a taste for the Chardonnays. I grew up back east, and my family drank red wine when they drank wine. And um, the couple of Chardonnays I'd had, I hadn't really enjoyed. But I remember it was late April, late afternoon on a Friday. I had worked all day. I was really tired. I was about to go home. But a, a woman whose company I, I really enjoyed, she called, and she said, hey, let's meet and have a glass of wine. I found some energy. All right. 
So I show up, and we're sitting out on a patio. If I recall, a warm breeze was blowing. And in fact, I think the Isley brothers were playing inside. The waiter came, and she ordered a bottle of Stag's Leap Chardonnay. My first reaction was, hmm, I don't know. But I didn't say anything because I really enjoyed her company. Well, the waiter came, he uncorked the bottle, he poured a glass. I took a sip, and you know what? I was transformed. Then and there, I became a Chardonnay drinker. It was partly due to the company, partly due because I really enjoyed this uh, Stag's Leap Chardonnay. It was the first one I had ever had that I really enjoyed. Stag's Leap. That's my wine today. Is that your story, or did you read that out of a Harlequin romance? That is my story. I tell them as I lived them. A gentle breeze was blowing. I believe it was a warm breeze. Oh, with the scent of clove in the air no, at the time, no, I no, believe. No, if no, I no let's, not, let's not minimize and really cool okay. what we don't understand, oh, okay, Joe. Okay, okay, it was a... He doesn't get it. That was a... It, it, it was a story. I mean, it was... It, it, okay. I was transformed. Transformed? Yes. Into a Chardonnay drinker. So Into a Chardonnay drinker. Okay, so um, there's a poll available for you. You can uh, pick the uh, Harlequin Romance Chardonnay, or you can have the together. Back of the bottle uh, uh, card reading. <laughs> you can read the together uh, Cabernet uh, that, uh, that reflects on the, mini, the, the spirit of our program. The spirit of our program, mm. indeed. Mm. <laughs> Oh my! Well, this was a great episode. It I, was really, really. I think I think that was um, maybe one of the best things that we've done with yeah. having Daryl on the, on good the program. And, yeah. uh, but we got some great stuff next week as well. Yes, we're, we're already here. working on it. Until then, I'm Joe Beachport, and I'm Dr. Dennis Davis, and this has been Workplace Strategies Update.